0: Welcome to this week's episode of Christ Centered Conversations, a Come Follow Me podcast where Celia and I interview everyday Latter-day Saints who are striving to become more like the Savior. As we've mentioned, we are not professional scriptorians nor religious scholars and have created this podcast to give a new perspective on how to approach the scriptures. We want to offer insights, ideas, and viewpoints that anyone and everyone can find as they study the scriptures with accessible tools and resources available to all
1: today we have the awesome opportunity to have craig and audrey freeze with us here craig and audrey are in our ward here in provo and also happen to be honestly the best neighbors anyone could have ever asked for audrey is a baking mastermind she brought us cinnamon rolls last week Pretty sure I ate mine in two seconds, burned the roof of my mouth, but it was the most delicious thing ever. <laughs> On top of that, too, Craig and Audrey are also seriously some spiritual powerhouses, which I think is something that is so incredible. Is we don't need the prop. Don't get me wrong, I love President Nelson, but we don't need a prophet. We don't need a apostle. We can find some spiritual powerhouses right across the hall from us, which is just the best thing ever. I think it is so enlightening and heartwarming. We are going to have them actually introduce themselves for us.
2: So Audrey and I got married past July, and we moved in next to Celia and Carter, and it's honestly been amazing. So our biggest, I guess, hobbies right now have been I play a lot of disc golf, trying to get big at the gym, and then um, we just love to spend time with one another. So we go on lots of walks, playing and picking up some new games, so it's been fun.
3: I'm Audrey. Uh, So, Craig's from Reno and I'm from Alaska. And, like he said, we got married last July. And just some introductory things, I guess. We both were raised in the church and both served missions. We met in Florida on our missions. So, that's a little fun fact about us. But we're super excited to be here today and we love the Taylors.
1: You guys met, it was the Orlando, Florida mission, right? Because you guys were there with my childhood friend, Isaac Bowen, Elder Bowen, like broke his neck and everything. So, shout out to Elder Bowen. He survived, he's not dead. Kudos to you, kid. (laughs)
0: We are super excited and happy to have the freezes on with us today. I totally relate to Craig with trying to get big at the gym. That is just a daily grind. But (laughs) today we have the opportunity to read from and study 2 Nephi 3-5. through So let's just dive right in. So one of the first verses that we see in 2 Nephi 3 talks about Joseph, who is the apparent youngest sibling of of Nephi and, and the others. And it talks about how Lehi says that, Joseph was born in the days of his greatest sorrow. And and this isn't really anything doctrinal here, but I just was thinking about if Joseph was born when Nephi broke his bow and Lehi was complaining against God, it seemed like that was a time with Nephi and his family that was sort of their rock bottom, where it was pretty low point. We know that Joseph was born before they set sail on the water. So I was just thinking about it the other day. I wonder if this was the time that Joseph was born, but Lehi goes on to talk about how Joseph was the fruit of his loins. And I know Joseph wasn't old at this time. He was probably a young kid, but obviously he knows that Lehi is his dad. And so I wondered why Lehi would bring that up. Why would he discuss how Joseph was the fruit of his loins? And it it occurred to me that I think Lehi was remembering or reminding Joseph here how important it is to Remember who we are. Remember where we come from. It's important to get to know our family. It's important to understand our our physical ancestry, our mortal ancestry. But I also think that it was it's a really important thing that Leah was teaching Joseph that we need to remember who we are spiritually. We are sons and daughters of an all knowing, all powerful and all loving being who's going to provide for us in the days of our greatest tribulation. Lehi is a perfect example of this, how throughout his life, he went through a ton of challenges, a ton of hardships up until the point when they left the wilderness. We don't know exactly how Lehi's life had gone from that point, but I'm sure he also experienced hardships before that. But we do know that when they left Jerusalem, were traveling in the wilderness and got on the boat and got to the new world, they experienced a lot of trials and tribulations. And I think that's the lesson that Lehi was teaching Joseph that you're going to have a lot of trouble in your life. Things aren't always going to be easy, but you are a son of God. You have the divine privilege of knowing who you really are, and that does help get through some of the trials and tribulations that you'll face. Something else that I thought interesting from the early part of 2 Nephi 3 was that Joseph and Jacob were both named after people that Lehi respected. We know that Lehi and his family had the brass plates, and I'm sure they made copies of the brass plates to give to their posterity and their generation. And it was interesting to me that the two names that Lehi gave his youngest sons was Jacob and Joseph. And we know the stories of Jacob and Joseph in the Old Testament. We know that Jacob is also known as Israel, and he was the father of 12 sons who went on to become the fathers of the 12 tribes so to speak and we know that Joseph was one of the youngest sons and also probably the most spiritual of the bunch I would say but he also had one of the hardest lives and I think it's kind of poignant here that Joseph was named after this other Joseph we know in 2nd Nephi 3 there's lots of Josephs that get thrown around here but that Joseph of Lehi's family was named after Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, who was sold into Egypt by his brothers. And I think there's a lot of symbolism there, how Joseph was also a sibling of some older brothers who were rebellious and who rejected God. And and, and I think it's interesting, again, how Lehi is pointing to his ancestry here, even though that Joseph had a really hard life, Joseph of Egypt. He was able to overcome a lot of these things and become a great prophet and somebody that we look up to and really respect something else too is how both jacob and joseph received really important covenants with god we know that israel jacob israel received the same covenant as abraham that his posterity would be as the number of this of uh, sands of the of the seas right and we know how uh, joseph also received a covenant that his posterity would be blessed we know that Many members of the church nowadays are from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh from their patriarchal blessings, and we are a part of that. We are adopted into the house of Israel upon our baptism. And so we are a part of that chosen and blessed branch, but it's also directly referring to the Nephites who were this blessed branch from Joseph. So I think it's very interesting how Lehi named his two sons after these two great prophets. And it's also something interesting that Jacob in Hebrew means, may God protect and joseph in hebrew means god shall add so i think it's something kind of how lehi loves to name his children after things that he wants them to be like he he wanted Laman to be like a uh, a river and he wanted lemuel to be like a valley i think it's important that we look here that jacob and joseph were also named after things that lehi had in store for them and i think it's interesting too that that joseph of egypt prophesied of moses That he prophesied that in the future moses would be a great prophet and in hebrew like i said last week i love etymology i love trying to find where the words come from and moses in hebrew means to pull out or to withdraw just like he was withdrawn from the nile Um, but i think it's cool how joseph saw moses day as well as lehi's day and i'm sure he saw our day as well now we get into a little bit about joseph Smith. We know that 2 Nephi 3 was a great chapter about the life of Joseph Smith and his mission. Something that I, as I was looking at this chapter this time around, that I found interesting was how Joseph Smith was not the oldest child, which typically you reserve, you know, if a father's going to name his sons, one of his sons after him, they usually reserve that title for the oldest. So we know he had two older brothers, Hiram and Alvin. We know Alvin died at a young age, but Hiram stuck stuck with Joseph throughout a lot of their life. And they ended up dying together, were martyred together. But I think it was interesting how Joseph Smith was the third oldest son and Joseph, the Joseph senior gave Joseph Smith, his name. And I think it was, I think there's something we can see here where God, I think intended for it to be like that. So this Joseph, the third son of Joseph Smith senior was reserved for this calling and how Joseph of Egypt saw this millennia beforehand. And let's get into, let's talk a little bit about Joseph Smith today. So in 2 Nephi 3.7, we know that this is kind of the beginning of his calling here. I just want to read this verse because I thought it was was really cool. So it says in 3 Nephi 3.7, Yea, Joseph truly said, Thus saith the Lord unto me, A choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. And unto him will I give commandment that he shall he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins, his brethren, which shall be of great worth unto them, even to the bringing of them to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers. So I wanted to read a quote from Joseph Smith's mother. She kept a, an amazing history of their family. And a lot of the things we know about Joseph Smith actually came from his mother. So, Uh, One of her quotes says, during our evening conversations, Joseph would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could, could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of this continent, their dress, mode of traveling, and the animals upon which they rode, their cities, their buildings with every particular, their mode of warfare, and also their religious worship. This he would do with as much ease seemingly as if he had spent his whole life among them so i wanted to kind of look at here how joseph smith accomplished this verse second nephi 3 7 how he really was a mode of bringing the blessings of god to the posterity of lehi and the posterity of of nephi and of laman and lemuel one of the things i read this really cool article entitled joseph smith and the lamanites by byron merrill i actually took a class from him at BYU, but I, I dropped it on the first day, so uh, he seemed like he was a pretty intense Book of Mormon teacher, but he was really, really cool. Interestingly enough, he talked about in this article how the translation of the Book of Mormon gives us a correct understanding of the heritage of the Lamanites and that God had made covenants with their ancestors. That in and of itself really is something amazing about Joseph Smith, how the Book of Mormon, which was sort of a, a fruit of his labor, we know he he translated the Book of Mormon and that this book brought a correct understanding that God really did care about all of his children and that maybe some people will think that God only cared about those that were in Jerusalem or that Israel was his only people, but he cares about all of his children. And so this knowledge that the Book of Mormon brings testifies of this principle of God. Something else really interesting about this article is it talks about several of the missions that Joseph Smith, uh, so several, like Joseph Smith sent missionaries to preach the gospel to several Native American tribes, which I just think is really interesting because we know that the Lamanites were among some of the ancestors of the Native Americans. And this knowledge of the Book of Mormon probably brought them a lot of comfort Some of them were inspired by this message that God really cared about them and they had a more correct understanding of, of who God is. And I think that's really important to always know again, who we are, this correct knowledge of God, like Lehi was teaching uh, his son, Joseph. So Craig and Audrey, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about Joseph Smith and ask you guys about your testimony of Joseph Smith.
3: So for me, I mean, I read the Book of Mormon from the time I was young um, and I learned about Joseph Smith at Sunday school and family home evening times. I don't think I had a really strong testimony of him until I was preparing to go on my mission. Um, And I had a really awesome Bishop, Bishop Ellis, my freshman year of college. I absolutely loved him. And when I went in to do my mission interview, he asked me to share my testimony of Joseph Smith with him. And I said, well, I believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet. And he stopped me right there and he said, if you just believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet, you're not gonna make it very far on your mission. And he said, I need you to say that again with an I know statement. And so I did that and I said, I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet. I felt the spirit fill the room and it was a confirmation to me that Joseph Smith really was a prophet and that his work in restoring the Book of Mormon um, was God's work on the earth. And as I have continued to study the Book of Mormon and study his life, that testimony has just deepened. And I especially love listening to music like Praise the Man and other songs that talk about him and the restoration. And that helps me to remember all the sacrifices he made and what an important role he had in translating the Book of Mormon for us as well.
2: My testimony of Joseph Smith definitely stems back to reading the Book of Mormon and praying to know that it's true. Even something that fills me with gratitude is in second nephi chapter three at the very end part of, of verse five and it talks about unto the bringing of them out of darkness unto light and that's how i really associate the restoration with joseph smith is the world was in a state of apostasy and we're coming off of we're getting it in, bringing into the last dispensation the savior had been crucified really the, the world had been lost and joseph smith faithful enough and righteous enough to ask a question that has changed my life and the lives of so many all around the world. And then a time where the, my testimony of Joseph Smith really was strengthened is actually on my mission. I, I received a, a prompting that I needed to better memorize the first vision account. And it had been two months prior to a super specific event um, that I became um, crucial that I not only knew it, but that I believed it strongly. And two months from that time that I really diligently started to memorize the first vision, um, we were at a state conference and the member 70 came up to me five minutes before the meeting and said, I talked with your mission president. He asked me to ask you to recite the first vision at this conference and it was something that i didn't expect that i didn't know was going to happen but he called me up and he asked me to share that experience and as i was going through the first vision account the whole room went completely silent and i felt a newfound love for the prophet joseph smith that he in reality saw two personages and that and that is our loving heavenly father and jesus christ and because of that experience that he had grove were able to have everything that we have today. I'm an organization, a restoration of priesthood keys, living prophet on the earth, the scriptures, the book of Mormon, all these things come from from Joseph Smith. And, and that's where I'm really grateful that he carried us out of darkness into a
0: new dispensation of light. Thank you guys for your testimony about Joseph Smith. I also wanted to add my own personal testimony of Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith is kind of a, it's an interesting topic with the church because they're are a lot of people who leave the church over struggles with the church's history and, and some of the things they read online. And, and I just wanted to add some thoughts about, about this topic. So we know that Joseph Smith was told by the angel Moroni, that his name would be had for good and evil across many countries, across eons of time. And uh, I I had a similar experience on my mission where we were teaching some people. I started my mission in Honduras as I believe I mentioned, and we were in this remote little town in the middle of nowhere, and we found this family to talk to, and we began talking about the restoration, lesson one for all the missionaries out there, and we got to the top, we got to talking about Joseph Smith, and in Spanish, they do just call him Jose Smith, which is kind of hilarious to me, because I just think it's funny to call Joseph Smith Jose, but in Honduras, a lot of people, when you, when you say the name Jose Smith, they sort of freak out, They, again, we were in this little town in the middle of nowhere and we talked about Joseph Smith and they were like, we've heard that he is the devil and that he came down to confuse people. And he came to contradict the words that we've been taught by our pastor and things like that. And I just thought it was really interesting that this fulfillment of Moroni's prophecy, that these people in the middle of nowhere had heard terrible things about the prophet Joseph Smith. It was just a further strengthening of my testimony about his mission and his role in the restoration and in God's plan for fulfilling the plan of salvation. Now, I just wanted to acknowledge that there are troubling things about the church's history. There are things that I understand can cause that there are room for concern. And we'll get into a few other things today about the chapters that we're looking at today. But I wanted to offer just a word of comfort and a word of advice to those that are struggling because I myself have also sort of wrestled with God over a few topics about the church's history. And I think that that's okay. I think that it's okay to try to find answers and try to find meaning in some of the things that we see or are told. I don't think we should be naive to certain things of church history, but I also think that we should also seek out the best sources about these topics. Reddit is not a great source. I'll just say that. YouTube not a great source we should be looking up sources that are going to lead us to find answers through the spirit and the spirit is the ultimate teacher the the spirit is the ultimate source for comfort among some of these difficult topics to talk about but I'll have my testimony to Joseph Smith that I know that he was a prophet of God and that he really did translate the Book of Mormon as he said he did, that he saw God as he said he did. And that, again, we don't worship Joseph Smith, but we have so much respect for him and his mission and and his role in the plan of salvation. And so I think it is important that we come to know who he was.
1: I will also add my testimony of Joseph Smith, just really quick. Um, I think it's one of the important things about, not even just for those who are converting or learning about the church for the first time, but it's for everyone who's coming into Christ is that your testimony of the Book of Mormon and of Joseph Smith are the keystone. If you can know for a surety of your heart that those are true, everything else falls into place. And kind of like Carter was saying that, you know, we have questions about some harder gospel topics or subjects and issues in the church, but we know that through Christ all will be made right. And so I just want to leave with that. I know that Joseph Smith really was a prophet and helped to bring this restoration like I talked about last week back to the earth. We're gonna move on. <laughs> we are going to look at second Nephi 4 verse 4. And you guys have probably heard me talk about this in the last couple of weeks. I've hinted at it and this is just the start. I will probably bring up this verse every week for the rest of the year while we study the book of Mormon. I'm gonna go ahead and read the verse really quick. It says for the Lord God hath said that inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. And inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. I'm going to focus on the first verse, or the first part of that verse, but I will come back to the second part. So everyone, please remember the second part when I blow your minds later. So this is probably one of the most universal themes we see in the Book of Mormon. It's really the covenant that the land of promise was built upon when he brought Lehi and his family over and other... Families and people that he brought over as well. But I want to focus on this promise and explain it a little bit more as it relates more to the content that we'll see in chapter five. I feel that the best way to describe this, we really have to rephrase this into an if then sentence. All my third grade teachers would be so proud of me right now. So let's look at it again. If you keep my commandments, then you will prosper in the land. So the if part of this covenant is keep my commandments, right? And that's, you know, I think a lot of times we think of the Ten Commandments could also be, you know, as the Lord tells them to move and transition throughout this time in the land of promise, right? It's a lot of things that could happen. The Lord gives us lots of commandments personally, and then, you know, universally to his church. Now, the then part of this sentence is, is something he phrases as prospering in the land. Now, when I first read the scripture, I used to think that prospering meant they had plenty of food, trade was good, Everyone's lives was chilling in Zion, right? Like they were just limited up out there, right? But I feel like as you dig more into the scripture, at least for me, as I dug more into the scripture and look at it every time this covenant is quoted, and I try to Google it. I try to figure out how many times it was quoted, but no one's counted. So maybe that's my challenge for this week. I'll go through the Book of Mormon and count how many times it says it. But every time it quotes this covenant, it's usually following an event or story where then people receive the Lord's spirit. And this covenant is just as true in our day as well. When we obey the commandments of the Lord, we have a spirit to be with us. And it really is such a foundational covenant that you see throughout the rest of the Book of Mormon. And it really, really connects to the topics we're going to hit in chapter five. And so what we want to do is we want to turn the time over to our guest again and Craig and Audrey, and also how you've seen those if then moments in your life, especially when the Lord's given you maybe personal commandments or revelation right how have you seen his spirit then be with you or you've prospered in your life
3: okay so for me personally i love this concept of prospering in the land being linked to the spirit because like back then like you were saying them having plenty of food for prospering land for them was like plants were growing and people weren't attacking them. And for us, that's not really what prospering the land looks like. And I think it's more tied to that guidance that we get from the spirit just daily for everything that we need and those individual tender mercies that we all are looking for. So recently, well, first off, I'm a really indecisive person. I'm really bad at making decisions and I hate having to eliminate choices. And so I've changed my major probably eight times, probably four times, like actually in the BYU database, but more than that in my mind. Anyway, so I'm graduating in April and we've just been having a lot of conversations about what the best next step for our family is, for me going to school and having a career and exactly what I want to do with that. I've been toying with a lot of different options and Craig and I have discussed them a lot throughout our marriage. Um, And I just felt like I was getting really frustrated with not having an answer. And so we decided to fast recently. And even though it wasn't a super strong answer of what I needed to do or what degree I needed to get, we felt a lot of peace and we felt like the Lord was guiding us. And so I think for me that prospering is peace, knowing that the Lord is guiding our steps, even if we don't know every single little thing that we need to do in the future.
2: So this concept for me as of the if-then has definitely been really tied to the sacrament. So where I see that a lot is blessings of the, of the bread and the water. I feel like growing up as a male in the church, I had a lot of opportunities to bless the sacrament. And um, I became really f- fixated on the idea of remembering Jesus Christ. And when we remember Jesus Christ and we keep the commandments, Then we're going to be blessed with his spirit and that's been the biggest blessing to me and so in the times where i feel like it's hard to control my actions or i feel like i want to complain or i want to judge someone i just remember keep the commandments and remember the savior and when i do that then i have his spirit to be with me and a specific time that I can remember that is in high school, as I was preparing to serve a mission, I just remember feeling so alone one day. All my siblings had moved out of the house. I was the last one at home. It felt almost as if by simply remembering the Savior that I had an overwhelming feeling of comfort. And I think that principle of if then, knowing that the Lord is bound when we do what he says, then we'll always have that blessing to be with us.
0: I, I really have a strong testimony of this verse. And like Celia said, this verse pops up so many times throughout the Book of Mormon. I think it's probably the most repeated phrase in the Book of Mormon. And I like how Celia calls it the if-then statement, right? If we follow the commandments and do what's right, then we are blessed, then we are prosperous in the land. And I really like how Audrey said that our prosperous in the land equivalent is not exactly the same as the Nephites prospering, prospering in the land. Something that I wanted to add to these awesome testimonies is... The idea that that God doesn't necessarily change our circumstances, but he can change how we view our circumstances. And if we're obeying the commandments, I don't think it's an overnight, we wake up the next day and all of a sudden we have all these great things in our life. What I do think happens is that God changes our perspective on the things that are already happening in our life. And we're able to better see the things that he's done for us. And I, one of my favorite hymns has always been Count Thy Many Blessings see what God has done. I think that if we are obeying him and reading his word, praying to him daily, and like Craig was saying, taking the sacrament with the right mindset about thinking about Christ, that we'll ultimately see the blessings that God has already done for us in our life. And we'll also notice the little things that he does every single day in our life. I had a a difficult week this week. Some things had come up that really taught me how, how important life really is and every single day is a blessing and every single day is something like i said every single day is a blessing and something that we should be grateful for every breath is a blessing and i think that following the commandments makes that more apparent in our life and can help us to see the good in everything that that happens in our day-to-day
1: yeah thank you guys for those comments actually i'm going to again lead off audrey's comment about how our prospering in the land looks different, not only between the Lamanite or the Nephites-Lamanites at the time, but also in our own lives as well. This next couple verses we want to focus on are really important to me in my life right now, and it's come at the perfect time to study them this week. We're going to move on to... Chapter 4, verses like 15 through 35. This is something I heard it. I want to say on my mission. These next couple of verses are called Nephi's Psalm. And it's kind of Nephi just pouring out the things of his heart, right? That's kind of what a psalm means. It means a prayer. And that's really what this is. It's kind of like Nephi's prayer written down, the prayer of his heart. And what he says so he says in these verses, I'll kind of try to paraphrase about them, but he says, For my soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and the profit of my children. Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord and showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of my iniquities. And I think that is so interesting because I think when we all think of Nephi, we think of this guy who built the boat, fixed his bow. He's the guy who went back to Jerusalem to get the plates, right? Like he just seems like such a righteous guy. For Nephi to say like, my soul hurts because of my iniquities because of my sins and my transgressions you're like oh he's human right and this is really like i don't know this has been on my heart a lot this week is i think about you know me prospering in like my land in the different times of our lives i i look back on my mission i've got my mission scriptures in front of me right now and they are highlighted probably far too much so many little notes and sticky notes and pictures. And that's just how I study. And today in, uh, we had to take conference day. they're talking about prayer and making it intentional. And I was reflecting on the prayers I had on my mission. I ref- was reflecting on how much I love church on my mission. And I think about now, and I, I still do those, right? But I'm not sure how intention- intentional they are anymore. And it just, it's so hard comparing yourself to a mission self, right? I, you know, your your social media use is very limited if close to none. I, at least for me, I served during COVID. So I, I had a smartphone, but Carter who served in Honduras had a little flip phone thing, right? Like very different missions, but you know, we're dedicating our lives to the Lord. And I really struggle with comparison and perfectionism. And so it's hard to look at myself now in this time of my life. And it's really easy for me to say like, I feel like I'm not prospering. Right? can Look at Mission Celia, right? She was so much better at these things, right? But that is not what the point of this is. I think like Nephi, we are all allowed to have the Psalm in our life. We are all allowed to pour hearts out to the Lord. And uh, that's what repentance is, right? It's godly sorrow. We are allowed to feel these things. And that's how you know you're coming closer to Christ and that you are prospering because the spirit is still there to tell you like, it's okay, but we want to be better. That is the whole point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be better. And I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is also some verses I had shared with me on my mission from um, one of my freshman roommates, um, Grace Paddy actually she sent this to me in an email one week. And it's verses 1 through 11. I just want to read these really quick. And just because I think they're so important. And I really think these have been so on my mind these last few weeks. But it says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time To keep and a time to cast away a time to rend and a time to sew. A time to keep silence and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. But profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And so I just wanted to share those verses because we are going to have seasons in our lives, you know, that can be being baptized. Carter's little cousin just got baptized. It can be preparing to serve a mission. It can be preparing for marriage. It can also be figuring out your career in college, what you want to major in. It could be preparing for motherhood. It can be preparing for retirement. There are so many seasons in our life. And every season of our life will have a different psalm of our heart. And that is 100% okay. The Lord wants to hear that. He wants to hear every psalm of your heart in every season. And that is what I think is so beautiful about Nephi's psalm is that he talks to God. He shows that he's human and he has mistakes. And that is okay. And that is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is for. It's for the psalms of our heart and to become better.
0: I love what Celia was talking about. Having a psalm of your heart at every season of your life I think a lot of us go through some really challenging things in our life. I don't think any single one of us get through life unscathed. I remember my mom talking to me about this topic when I was in middle school and going through some tough times. And and she told me that nobody really gets through middle school unscathed, which I think is true. And I also think it's a microcosm for the rest of life. Nobody gets through life unscathed. Even people who seem like they have it all going for them, each one of them has a Nephi psalm, so to speak. And... What I like about Nephi's psalm is that he does sort of allow himself to grieve, allow himself to acknowledge the things that he has been experiencing in his life. We know that at multiple times in his life, his older brothers try to kill him. And I can't imagine that affliction in your life, your brothers trying to kill you, the people that are supposed to be your protectors trying to kill you. Can't imagine losing your dad. And I think it's really interesting here how Lehi blesses each one of his sons and also the sons of Ishmael, but we don't get what he said to Nephi before he died. And it kind of leaves it up to to our imagination. Did Nephi get a blessing from Lehi or did he die? And Nephi was wondering why he didn't get a blessing, something to think about. But I I like how Nephi uses God to pull himself out of it. In high school, I, I struggled with some mental health issues and to get out of it, I really did have to rely on God God was the only source of true lasting peace that I felt. And to this day, I still rely on God whenever I struggle with issues that relate to that topic. I think too how Nephi looks back on his experiences with God. He looks back on his bad experiences, but always sees God God's hand in each one of those experiences. When his older brothers tied him up and were gonna leave him to the beasts of the wilderness, God loosed his bands when they were about to drown on the waters, God touched Laman and Lemuel's heart and allowed them to untie Nephi. I don't know why Nephi got tied up so much, that seems kind of weird, but he always was found in Nephi's lowest moments. And so we see this switch in Nephi's tone as he starts his Psalm, he's very depressed and he's sad and unsure of how he's gonna pull himself out of this. And then that verse where he says, but I know in whom I have trusted, I love that verse because it reminds us in who we've put our trust in in times of trouble
2: so i guess on this idea of having a psalm or a song in the heart or any sentiment that really sticks with you definitely the way that the spirit speaks to me is by having small phrases that stick with me for for a time and i've definitely been in the with nephi and i felt like oh wretched man that i am you know and but something that has really resonated with me recently is first things first when we put priorities in place god at the top spouse family work school and their proper places then i'm able to magnify through the savior everything that i need to get done and i find that similar to what carter was saying Our situations may not change but our outlook does the way that we perceive the situations around us certainly certainly do one other thought is similarly as well as just like mental health challenges is in high school and my brother number one is is amazing and and i had a panic attack one day and we were it was right as we were like pulling into our driveway and i literally like couldn't even breathe and so he got out of the car opened the passenger door and just laid my seat back and prayed for me. And I remember that as a time where the ideas and those little phrases of first things first, a wretched man that I am, it started to change to be that of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I know that the spirit will whisper to us the exact things that we need to know and conversations like this are helpful, but ultimately we need to go straight to the source, ask God. And um, he'll deliver um, what we need to know to our hearts and minds.
3: So, just to add a little bit on to what's been said about Nephi's psalm and how we can have our own personal psalm, um, I really love what Celia was talking about with having different times and seasons in our lives and how that psalm changes. And I think that one way that psalm can change is if it's more inwardly focused or focused on other people. I think we go through times in our lives where we just are struggling a little bit. And so our psalm was a little more focused on how to get ourselves out of that. I'm just going back to these comments about mental health that we've discussed. And then I think that when we have a little more emotional bandwidth, our psalm can turn a little more to the needs of others. And obviously we should always be serving and loving other people, but there are just different times and seasons when we have a greater capacity to do that. And I, something that, Came to me as I, as we were talking about Psalms, is this idea that when we have the same things that are on our minds and on our hearts, um, and they're the same as those that we're close to, we're able to find more unity. And so I think that now that we've been married for seven months, and I'm a marriage expert, um, one thing that I've noticed is. When Craig and I are focused on the same things, when we have a similar psalm, and obviously it's not going to be the same always because we're two separate people and we have different talents and abilities and um, capacities, but when we're focused on the same things, we are more unified. And so I think that when we really get to know people, we're able to learn about the psalms of their heart and learn what really matters to our friends and our spouses and put some effort in so those things matter to us as well.
1: Thank you guys for sharing all those stories about the Psalms of your heart and just being willing to be open about that, especially on podcasts and like this, it means a lot. And the spirit, I wish you guys could feel the spirit here in this room, it is so strong right now. And hopefully it's strong wherever you are listening to this podcast right now as well. So we're moving into chapter five and these, this chapter is probably one of the most controversial in the church and we wanna tread this these chapters super lightly and carefully because like Carter said, we're not scriptorians. We do not have a degree in this whatsoever. And so we really just want to focus on the good and try to help clear up some confusion on it the best that we can and still drop questions, comments, message us what you guys think we'd love to hear more because we, that's the best part about the scriptures is that there's always more to learn, but I really want to focus on verse 20 through 21, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about in chapter four. Um, and as much as are keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. And this is where this kind of comes in. This is where the Nephites and the Lamanites separate from each other. Nephi has a, a commandment from the Lord. I can't remember if it's in the middle of the night, I feel like it's always in the middle of the night for them. <laughs> he gets a commandment where he's like, hey, your brothers are gonna try to kill you again, right? And you, you need to take your family and leave. And I'm pretty sure he takes his family, Zoram's family, and then some of Ishmael's family. So he leaves, they make it somewhere safe and they start to set up right their civilization, right how they want to work and run. And then the Lord talks to Nephi again. And I want to talk about the quote unquote curse that people read about in chapter five um, and just make some clarifications on this. So I'm going to read it from the scriptures. I'm not going to try to paraphrase anything. I'm going to read it from the scriptures and explain as I go. But we have in verse 20, it says, Wherefore, the word of the Lord was fulfilled, which he spake unto me, saying, Inasmuch as they will not hearken hearken unto thy words, thou shalt be cut off from my presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord. Right? So it goes back to verse 4 where he says in chapter 4, And inasmuch as you will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. So he says it twice right there. Cut off from his presence, right? It's like we talked about in chapter 4. If you don't keep my commandments, you won't have my spirit. Now verse 21 reads and he had caused the curse to come upon them yea even a sore cursing i'm not sure if you guys have caught this but that's past tense he had caused the curse to already come upon them not that he's going to and i think something super important to note too is that god is not a god of magic he does not sprinkle pixie dust and all of a sudden stuff shows up the next day he is a god of law and order and it really goes back to i think i've talked about it before the creation right If you think about the creation he was really he was very planned and methodical in the way he created the earth he had to make you know he had to separate this water from the land and then he had to create the clouds right the heavens because that starts the water cycle and you can't have plants and vegetation without a water cycle Without plants and vegetation you can't have other creatures roaming the earth he is a god of law and order and that is something i am so founded on in my testimony and it goes back to this as well this is past tense this curse and it's what he's already talked about. The curse is not having the Lord's spirit to be with you. Because I'm not sure about anybody else, but not having the spirit of the Lord with me sounds like hell. I'll be honest. It sounds like hell to me. It sounds like a curse. I, I would feel so distraught and, in a sense, cursed in my life if I knew that because of my own choices, I didn't have the Lord's spirit to be with me. So anything else in this chapter, I think, is... Some people mistake the curse to be something else, and I don't think that's what the Lord is trying to say here. God is a God. God is a very loving God. He knows all of his children perfectly, but he also knows that we have agency. It is one of the gifts that he gave to us, and there's those conditions of this covenant, right? Keep my commandments, you will have my spirit, and you will prosper. And the Lamanites at this point chose out of their own agency to not keep his commandments, and he was fulfilling that covenant from chapter 4 right? And it's the same thing we see throughout the whole scriptures. If you do not keep my commandments, you will not have my spirit. And at some point too, it's flipped. The Lamanites are some of the most spiritual people in the Book of Mormon. And the Nephites begin to lose sight of the commandments and listening to God. And that's what I think I just wanted to kind of clarify, at least from my understanding of the scriptures and my own like insights is that he said that The curse was caused, past tense, going, which means you're going to look back at verse 20 to see that that curse was being cut off from the presence of the Lord.
0: I really liked how Celia talked about treading these scriptures lightly. We know that this can be a point of controversy for many new readers of the Book of Mormon who aren't expecting a verse like this, where we learn about the skin of blackness and i actually had the opportunity to write a paper about this for one of my classes and i read a really interesting article about the skin of blackness and how more than likely it was more metaphorical than literal and how the lamanites were probably of a dark and gloomy countenance and that their personage was changed not their literal skin but the way that they were perceived by the nephites that they were more dark and gloomy when you describe someone as someone being sort of dark and gloomy, it's not their actual skin color, but rather how they were acting. And as Celia was talking about, I think it's very interesting here, how the curse again was not the skin of blackness, but rather the separation of the spirit from them, which to me would be a curse. Like Celia was saying, we don't want to get too much into this topic because we know again, that this can be a spot of contention and a spot of some controversy, but, What we do want to do, because this is one of the purposes of this podcast, is to tell you guys that there are resources out there. Again, we aren't scholars. We aren't scriptorians professionally. However, there are several articles by BYU scholars or by other scholars that really do help to clarify these verses and to give at least some other perspectives and other ways to view these verses. Because again, one of the things that I always go back to is God's ways are not our ways. He is... His ways are higher than our ways. And some of the things in the scriptures can only be viewed from a spiritual lens rather than a a literal lens. And again, we just want to help to provide some additional resources to help with verses that can be a cause of contention, especially when we're reading a book that preaches kindness and it preaches an acceptance of all people, regardless of skin color, regardless of gender. And again, Nephi is the same author who writes that all are alike unto God. And so there is some, some disconnect between this verse and that verse, if we view it from a purely literal standpoint. So we'll leave that verse where it is there. So we want to get into some other topics from this chapter. Again, this is a really sad chapter because we know how Nephi loved his brethren, regardless of the things that they had done to him in his life. I do believe that there was love left from Nephi and leaving your family like that would have been extremely difficult and we know that this wasn't the first time that his brothers had tried to kill him and so i think it was a representation of how god gives us multiple chances to do what's right but eventually we have to set up healthy boundaries and in this case i don't think nephi was particularly he wasn't going to seek violence against his brothers however he was doing what was best for him and his family which in this case was separation i think there's a lesson there too we won't get into that as much but we know that Nephi and his family and those that followed him came to this place of safety. And one of their first things that they did was they built a temple. It's a, it says that they built it after the manner of Solomon, which is interesting because if we look at the temple of Solomon, it's set up very similar to the temples of our day. And that is a tie in to temples of our day, because rather than just having one, solid temple in Jerusalem and one in the new world. We now have have temples scattered across the earth upon the Isles of the Sea, which in the last five to six years have been, it's been amazing to see how many new temples. I think President Nelson announces at least 10 to 15 every single conference, which is just such a representation of how much God's work is being done throughout the world and, and how much God cares about all of his children's regardless of where they are, which again, contradicts the verses that we just talked about. So we wanted to ask Craig and Audrey about their thoughts about the temples, how important they are to our day and what they mean to them in their personal life.
2: Audrey and I had a lot of different experiences with temples growing up. I lived across the street from a temple and Audrey, there wasn't a temple in their town and the closest temple was by boat or by plane. And so for me, I grew up going to the temple ever since I could going every week I'd have an open time for baptisms for the dead going with frequency. I could feel the difference in my life with the temple, even from week to week. If there was a week that I missed, I could feel the drastic difference. And that spirit in the temple is where really some of the closest relationships that I've had and most sincere conversations that I've had with the Lord in prayer have been in the temple. So for me, the temple is a place where God is, number one, sealing his blessings upon our heads, and two, doing that work for those that have passed on, which especially in cultures like BYU, it can often feel like it's hard to do missionary work, but with temple and family history work, it's always just one sit at the computer or one drive into the temple. So.
3: Awesome. So like Craig said, I grew up in Alaska and the closest temple was two and a half hours. Usually we would fly to Anchorage or just stop in Seattle on our way home from somewhere. I think that really taught me that going to the temple is different. It's something uh, sacred and holy and it requires a lot of effort. And that's something that I think is easy to lose sight of when we live so close to a temple or we go with such frequency, but, when something is sacred or holy, we set it apart, we make it different. And I think if we are not doing that, it makes it a lot less meaningful. And with the Nephites, why would they build a temple if they could do the same things just in their everyday lives? It makes no sense to allocate so many resources, so much time and so much precious stones. And it seems like they use the most precious things. They tried to make it like Solomon's temple. And so I think that in our own lives we have to make effort in order for the temple to feel different when we're there we have to dress differently we have to think about it throughout the week i mean do we put in our schedules and it's just another block of time we need to do or is it something we're actually thinking about throughout the week that has a different meaning than everything else that we're doing Um, and i think for me a couple weeks ago i turned to craig and i was like man i don't know that i'm getting as much out of the temple as i could be getting out of the temple and i think since then i really have tried to pay more attention as we're going through the ordinances and the ceremonies and not just going because i know i should or it's in my schedule and i made the appointment but going because it's supposed to change me and it's supposed to be a revelatory experience
1: yeah i think we could go around the table talking about how much we all love the temple and how important it is i just want to share a quick story from me and Carter's summer, we got married in August. So about a month after the freezes did. And so <laughs> funny thing, I am from California and Carter is from Virginia. And if you try to put it on a map, we are like on a horizontal line, like right across from each other, opposite coast. And I was like, how in the world did we meet, right? It's just so, just God's timing and God's hand and everything. But that's the story for another day. But as we were engaged in planning a wedding, it's I guess you could say it's kind of tradition to go to the temple where the bride is from. Usually the bride is picks the temple, right? And don't get me wrong. I love the Oakland, California temple. But I never saw myself getting married there for some reason, never did growing up. And I was like, oh, well, Okay, so maybe that means I was like, I can have an exotic wedding, who knows, or I'll never get married. It's one of two options right now. And I met Carter. And Actually, in the March before we got married, Richmond, Virginia, got a temple dedicated that March. And so it was pretty cool. I got to call the Richmond Temple and I was like, like before it even was dedicated, and I was like, are you guys taking appointments? And I was like the first one and it was so cool. It just really opened up because of that feeling of not ever, because of that previous experience with not feeling connected to the Oakland Temple, it opened up our horizons to go to Richmond, Virginia to get married where Carter was from, which was very, not unheard of, but it's, it's a longer ways for my family to travel. So this leads into this next miracle with the temple is Carter has an aunt, Lindsay. We love her. Um, we love their family, Gemma, Aaliyah, Jamie. They are some of the coolest people I know. And Lindsay, actually, this is probably more of her story, but I just think it's so incredible. She teaches in society in their ward and she was teaching one day and we weren't there for this. This is what his mom told us, but she was like, you know, I've got a nephew that's getting married soon. And like, I have actually never been to the temple and I want to be there for their ceiling. So I'm making it a goal to go to the temple and take out my endowment so I can be there for the ceiling. And it just goes to show the power of the temple and so me and carter took a red eye beginning of august we got there the day that she was taking out her endowment and it was the most powerful experience to know that because of my right the spirit i don't know what it is but because we chose to go to the richmond temple that we could see that gathering of israel right that family history that work and really just bring families closer together and it was such a beautiful experience to be there with lindsay and we are just love her to death and are so proud of her
0: so i have a very similar experience to temples as audrey before the richmond temple was dedicated or announced i actually had to take my endowments out in philadelphia which was about an eight-hour drive from richmond and it was kind of a funny story how all that turned out the washington dc temple was actually the closest to us but it had closed for two years so the next closest was in raleigh north carolina but then they had a bunch of flood damage. And so they were going to close for the next two years. And this was all happening a few months before I was supposed to get endowed. So we had to make the trek up to Philadelphia and we actually had made such a kind of made a trip out of it. And I'm a diehard Rocky fan. It's always been a dream of mine to see Philadelphia, to go to Philadelphia. And so at least on a very superficial level, I was actually really grateful to go to the Philadelphia temple. But on a much more spiritual level, when I took out my endowments, It was such an amazing experience to be honest i did not catch everything that happened that day i was somewhat mind blown and somewhat confused all at the same time however when i exited that temple i just remember this overwhelming feeling of happiness and i thought to myself if i didn't understand what was going on in the temple how is it that i feel this great happiness how is it that i feel like i'm living after the manner of happiness which we'll get into in a minute and that was where my testimony of temples I feel like really began is because again i wasn't knowledgeable of everything that was happening that day but i just remember this great feeling of happiness that washed over me and again maybe it was just being able to see the rocky statue that day but i do think that it was a very spiritual happiness and a a lasting joy that i felt because of going to the temple and i'm very grateful to be in utah at this point to have a temple basically on every corner and I, there are as many temples here as McDonald's. Like It's it's amazing. It's awesome to be in Utah. But at any point in our life with this movement to create and build temples across the world, it's becoming less and less of an issue to not be able to have a temple nearby. And so I'm very grateful to the Lord for this great blessing that we have so many temples available to us. But now we just wanted to wrap up today's podcast with this phrase that we see in 3 Nephi five, which is that Nephi and his family and all of his followers lived after the manner of happiness. I believe it was Joseph Smith who said this, that the ultimate point of everything that we do is to receive a fullness of joy, that everything that God does is to bring to pass our happiness essentially. And I'm, I'm really grateful for this chapter because it gives us a very clear cut and dry formula to achieve this manner of happiness we live in a world that's driven by a lot of instant gratification and here we go with another mcat thing but we are triggered by these dopamine reward pathways that we look at our phones and we want an instant gratification we want this instant almost like a a drug basically where we we want to look at like a video or something and immediately enjoy it or immediately be happy immediately get that dopamine hit so to speak And that's just not really what this manner of happiness is. It's not this instant gratification where we can click a button and we're all automatically happy. This is a more of a lasting happiness that's built off of solid, firm principles that we learn about in 3rd Nephi 5. I read a talk the other day by Marlon K. Jensen that's entitled living after the manner of happiness. And I highly recommend it to anybody listening because it lays out these components for happiness that we find in third nephi 5. and he goes into a lot more depth and a lot more detail about each one of these topics but i did want to highlight each one of the pillars of happiness that he mentions again based on this verse from 355 the first thing that he references is family and how family is an essential component to happiness and now we are so blessed to have such wonderful families and i think it is such a blessing to have a family close to us, not necessarily physically, but just close in spirit and close in in relation. But at the same time, we understand that not everybody has such a family, more of a biological family as such. But each one of us have families in our life, types of families in our life, a ward family, a work family, anything that we engage in in life, we can create families. And families really are A source of happiness regardless of if they're biological or in any other setting the other pillar that he talks about in this talk is keeping the commandments and how this really is one of the focal points of living after the manner of happiness we cannot receive full happiness if we are not keeping the commandments to the best of our ability again we aren't commanded to be perfect yet i love that talk by jeffrey r holland that we aren't asked to be perfect in this life But we are asked to try our best to keep our commandments and God will increase our efforts. And again, as we strive to keep the commandments, I think a lot of the happiness comes in the striving. We're never going to achieve perfection in this life. And it's sort of impossible to think that we should hold ourselves to a perfectionist standard in this life. But what I do think brings happiness is striving and really trying to bring happiness are really trying to keep the commandments in our life because again that is really the source of happiness as opposed to being perfect in everything one of the other pillars is work nephi talks about how he taught his people to be industrious to work with their hands to have things going on and now i do really like to work with my hands i love to do woodworking projects but At the same time, I understand that when he means working with our hands, doesn't necessarily literally mean working with our hands, but having some sort of physical thing that we're working on in our life, goals and aspirations and dreams. A lot of people think that having these spiritual desires, but also having temporal desires cannot coexist. But I'm here to say that the Lord wants us to be industrious. The Lord wants us to have goals, temporal goals, to make this world a better place for his children. To sum the rest of these up, Actually, today we had state conference and they talked about four things that we can do in our life to come closer to God. One was reading our scriptures, which is something that Nephi and his people did is they had the brass plates. They had exposure to the stories that we have exposure to at the same time with the Old Testament. And they learned about prophets of old who followed the gospel and were able to achieve happiness we also have the blessing of the book of mormon which we're reading from and we also have the new testament several other scriptures and words of prophets that we can read that bring us happiness the other point they made in church today actually or state conference today was partaking of the sacrament on a weekly basis and doing the best we can to be intentional with that the next thing they talked about was visiting the temple which again we've already talked about and each one of us has such a strong testimony of the temple and the last thing that they talked about was praying, which is again something that Nephi and his family really tried to do. We see that with Nephi's Psalm, but we also see that going forward how each one of the members of Nephi's family that we read about had a relationship with Christ through prayer. So again, we always want to end our podcast with the thought of Christ in mind as again, this is Christ center conversations. And I just want to testify from the bottom of my heart that Christ really is the Savior of the world. And again, I I talked about this a little bit earlier, but this week really has been sort of a difficult week for me. And I was able to actually watch The Chosen a little bit today. And I, I love The Chosen. And for those who've seen it, they understand why it's such a great show. And I think it gives a very personal side of Christ. And I related to a lot of things that happened in the episode of The Chosen that I watched today. And I really felt connected to Christ this week, even though it was a a very difficult week for me, I've never felt closer to my savior at the same time. And I'm I'm so grateful that we have a savior and that he is our mediator, like we talked about last week in our advocate with the father. And we wanted to wrap up this podcast with Craig and Audrey's final thoughts. We're so grateful for them today. And we just wanna hear some of their final words about what we've talked about today.
3: I'm so grateful for the Taylors for inviting us to be on this podcast today. It's been a lovely experience. As we were talking about living after the manner of happiness, I was reminded of a quote from Joseph Smith. It's one of my favorite of his. And he said, a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. And I love that quote because I think it really applies to happiness as well. Just like Our Heavenly Father asks us to sacrifice all that we have so that we can increase our faith and we can be able to return to live with him again. He also asks us to sacrifice all of those little things that we think are bringing us happiness that aren't really, and he gives us back things that are better. And so just like Carter was talking about with the little temporal things that don't actually bring real joy into our lives, uh, our Heavenly Father asks us to sacrifice those things so we have more time with our family, we have more time to go to the temple, we have time to do our hobbies. And I'm really grateful that he loves us enough to ask us to sacrifice so that we can live after the manner of happiness.
2: Yeah, the the come follow me has been really special. And I know that come follow me and being able to discuss these specific chapters of the Book of Mormon is more than just a way of getting everyone to study the same thing, but it's a way and a specific invite for us to, to come unto Christ. Um, I often think, especially this year, uh, where Book of Mormon is our focus, it's a, a time to read the specific record that's been made and set aside for our day. And so I often think back to President Nelson and um, the promises that he's given, where he says, my dear brothers and sisters, I promise as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you'll make better decisions every day. And I promise as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open, and you'll receive answers to your own questions, or answers to your own questions and direction for your own life. And I know that's true. I know that as we do that, we'll be able to come and become more like the Savior. Um, treat others with more respect. And um, I've seen that as I've grown closer to the Savior as well.
1: Well, thank you again to Craig and Audrey for coming over to join us. We, honestly, it was so easy having you guys rock across the hall. So that was perfect. We thank you everyone who listened to the podcast this week. Hope you guys will join us next week as we study 2 Nephi 6 through 10. Those should be the chapters in next week's section of Come Follow Me. Um, As you know, this is Christ-centered conversation. So what we want to do is leave you with invitation every week and we'll make sure to remind you, but make sure that you make Christ the center of your life. This is Celia,
0: this is Carter,
1: and this is Christ Centered -centered Conversations. Conversations.